we have this huge musical heritage and it is ongoing like tonight. The musicians who are here today um, are heirs to that in a lot of ways and are also going to influence somebody 20 years down the road, 200 years down the road. That was Amanda Doyle. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Steve Pick and Amanda Doyle are authors of St. Louis Sound, an Illustrated Timeline. That's a book that covers the history of, mainly of popular music in St. Louis, from Scott Joplin to Nelly. You may have heard our radio feature with the two authors. This episode of Cut and Paste is dedicated to a closer listen to that musical history. I asked Steve, what makes the music of St. Louis stand out? You think of Nashville and you think of country music, you think of Memphis and you think of the blues and R&B and soul. You think of Chicago, you think of blues, New Orleans has their thing. St. Louis has all of it. All of it has come through here and there have been major contributions made by St. Louis artists to um, international kinds of music. It's not something that uh, is just known to those of us who live here. And in fact, many of us who live here don't even know everything that's happened. And that's one of the things about the book is we discovered this amazing breadth of all of it happening in the same place. The other thing, too, I think, is that so many of the greatest musicians, you know, that are still around with us in St. Louis are still in St. Louis and never necessarily, like, broke out too much beyond here. And so there's almost this inability to see what's right under our own nose that is truly world-class music, but it's so accessible to us and it's so just sort of the air we breathe that I think maybe we tend to overlook it because of that reason, too. So to the to the objective student of popular music in the United States, would someone point to St. Louis and say there's some special stuff that's happened there? Well, they sure should. I don't know. If, if not, we're going to send them a book yeah. <laughs> and school them. I mean, at the very least, um, Chuck Berry is known far and wide as a St. Louis. They're really rocking in Boston and Pittsburgh, PA. Born and raised and lived until he died in St. Louis. Yep. And played pretty frequently, right? Until, right. Until es- the end. Especially in the, the last 25 years mm-hmm. or so of his life, he had a residency at the Duck Room in, uh, in Blueberry Hill and played once a month there, up until about a year, year and a half before he passed away. Wasn't he known for playing with pickup bands from the, the cities he was playing in? Yeah. So there's probably a lot of musicians running around this area who've played with Chuck Berry. In this area and everywhere in the world, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And I've heard stories. Many, many people have told me about, you know, uh, getting the gig to play with Chuck Berry. And they didn't they didn't meet beforehand. They just got up on stage and he figured that they had to know his songs, which they probably did. And, uh, you know, they just went away and played. Yeah. I mean, there's still nothing more thrilling than watching Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll and seeing all of the you know, huge, That's a concert film late in yeah, his career, right? Right. Uh, filmed at the Fox yeah. and um, all of these huge musicians, you know, the Rolling Stones and like everyone who just was in awe of what he what he was. Hail, hail, rock and roll. Maybelline, can't you be true? Give me more headaches than Mick Jagger. Yeah? Leave the ham because I said it. That's my ham and I'm setting it the way I wish it. Because that's the way it's going to wind up on the film. If it winds up on the film, that's the way Chuck Berry plays it. 
The life of the man who changed modern music forever with rare footage, revealing interviews. The whole vernacular of, of you know being a teenager stars. in rock and roll came from from Chuck Berry. That was you know invented by him. Not and to mention the guitar licks that he came up with. That for three decades thereafter, if you wanted to play rock and roll guitar, you had to almost start learning how to do those. So, of course, one of the all-time greats of jazz, Miles Davis, is from these parts, and he got a lot of valuable experience playing in and around St. Louis, but also, you mentioned in the book, developed a very key part of his style of what we think of Miles Davis even sounding like, right? He was born in Alton, Illinois, grew up in East St. Louis, but... uh, played in both East St. Louis and St. Louis among all of the many different jazz players at the time. One of the key things he learned here was the use of the Harmon mute, which is a signature of Miles Davis's sound, that very cool sounding muted trumpet. So what's the connection between the Harmon Mute and... It was a player in the Jeter Pillars Orchestra who taught Miles Davis to use that. Oh. So, yeah, that's a, a significant thing that happened in St. Louis. And then Miles went on to completely change jazz, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, five or six times. You mentioned the Jeter Pillars Orchestra. Now, I had to look this up, but they were the house band at Club Plantation which was just a couple blocks north of us here in Grand Center. The building is still there. You can look at that. But there was a bassist in the Jeter Pillows Orchestra who made a big impact on the development of jazz. Well, you know, there are uh, a number of artists that we cover in the book that absolutely hugely influenced the development of their genre. Jimmy Blanton, the bass player who was in Duke Ellington's band in 1940-41, then he died very young, at like 22 years old of tuberculosis. He changed the way the bass is played. Uh, Prior to him, bass players played the root notes, and that was about it. He moved up and down on on the instrument, played melodies, counterpoints, solos, Yeah, and in fact, there's a story in Terry Teachout's biography of Ellington that uh, Duke was so impressed with Blanton, uh, he hired him for his group and three weeks later brought him into a recording studio in Chicago. They cut two piano-based duets. Let's hear a little of one of those. This is a scratchy recording, but it's Duke Ellington on piano and St. Louis's own Jimmy Blanton on bass. And essentially, because of someone like Jimmy Blanton, that was the first step in the development of jazz to becoming bebop, which then changed jazz from a dance music to a listener's music. So that happened because of a guy from St. Louis. And maybe somebody would have come along to do it otherwise, but who knows? You can't prove that. All you can say is that it happened because of St. Louis. We're going to take a break for just a moment, and when we're back, we will hear some more about the rich musical history of St. Louis. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. 
This is Cut and Paste, and we're speaking with Amanda Doyle and Steve Pick, who wrote the book St. Louis Sound, an Illustrated Timeline. What about the blues? There's been some great blues artists in this town, but St. Louis is also uh, the inspiration for a couple really important songs, right? We have an NHL team called the St. Louis Blues. Are they named? Is that named after the genre? It's about the song specifically. Correct. The song the name of the song is St. Louis, Louis Blues. Blues. Okay. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, W. C. Handy was uh, a songwriter who popularized the blues. Well, essentially, he stole <laughs> stole melodies and lyrics from people that he would hear playing in the South. But he copyrighted the song "St. Louis Blues." And it became one of the most well-known songs, not just blues songs, but popular songs in in the United States in the 20th century. There's probably only a half a dozen songs that have been performed more often than St. Louis blues. What's the point of the song? That that they the St. Louis women will will ruin marriages. Basically, will they'll steal your man. Yeah. Yeah. He did not live here. Don't know why he thought that St. Louis women were so bad. St. Louis woman wears a diamond ring. She pulls a man around by her apron string. If it wasn't for the powder and the stove-bought say that. St. Louis Blues hockey team, when, when they uh, came along, they thought, well, that's a cool name, isn't it? And no one was using it. So that was their theme song on the radio show. You know, that was the first version of St. Louis Blues that I ever heard when I was a kid. And not too far from where the blues play, downtown St. Louis over at 11th and what is now called Convention Boulevard, there was a shooting on Christmas 1895 that has yielded a song that has been played and interpreted and reinterpreted many, many times, right? Usually known as Staggerly, sometimes Stackily. Yes, and and it was a a murder that you can find newspaper accounts of. Um, And in those days, back then, it was kind of a folk culture sort of thing. Somebody started singing about it. Somebody else started singing about it. They re- they forgot the words that the first person did. They added their own. And over time, there became hundreds and hundreds of verses about Stagger Lee. And there have been hundreds of different versions of the song recorded. But it all started right here in St. Louis, as did another murder ballad, Frankie and Johnny. Let's listen to a couple different arrangements of Stagger Lee. The first one here is by Lloyd Price. It was a number one hit in 1959. Stagelee's a man, man, and he's shocking my billy dee. 
And that was Staggerly times three. You heard Lloyd Price, Grateful Dead, and Dr. John. So let's move on to something more recent. The alternative country or alt country movement in one sense was born right here, right? With Uncle Tupelo. The whole no depression movement and that whole sound that was happening with lots of bands, um, but really got associated with them. And the split that led to Wilco going one way and Sunbolt going another and, and so many bands that have come after them. I think that's another thing that really they're seminal in that whole genre. I know right. Wilco has associated itself with Chicago pretty closely. Is it fair for St. Louis to claim uh, Uncle Tupelo? Heck yeah. Well, it's absolutely fair for Uncle Tupelo because they lived here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're from Belleville, but the they played most, most of their shows in St. Louis or University City. To be precise, most of their shows were in Cicero's, um, <laughs> although they played lots of other places, but... Yeah, they uh, they were a major part of the St. Louis scene in the 80s. And we've covered a lot of stylistic ground today, but let's not neglect hip-hop. There is a thriving hip-hop scene in St. Louis. I know uh, Midwest Avengers is one long-running group. Um, what about artists with a national profile? We got him. Nelly, Nelly, yeah. Well, it... well, obviously Nelly, because he wore the Cardinal shirts and the blue shirts, and he, I mean, he sang you, about St. Louis. People I went to high school with, and I did not go to high school in St. Louis, who then I lost touch with and, and refound later, that was that put St. Louis on the map for them. They had this vague idea that I lived somewhere between <laughs> Chicago and L.A., but... Nelly solidified it, so I, I owe him endless gratitude for that, for making you, this a real place to my friends. You really noticed that happen? Oh, completely, yes. I have My friends from high school sort of scattered, and there's a contingent in New York, and the rest kind of on the West Coast, and uh, yeah, they were like, wait, Nelly is from St. Louis. You're from St. Louis. That's a place. So <laughs> made something real for them. Very good. <laughs> We have this huge musical heritage, and it is ongoing like tonight, you know, um, and because of everything that's come before and the sort of cultural influences that we just all have, I think, that the musicians who are here today are heirs to that in a lot of ways and are also going to influence somebody 20 years down the road, 200 years down the road, who knows. That was Amanda Doyle and Steve Pick. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, host of Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from our executive editor, Shula Newman. Our intro and exit music is by Eric Hall. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>